0: And uh, so that's where we're at. We're going to talk today. We're not doing a series today. It's just a message the Lord's really put back in my spirit again. We want to talk. Uh, want to talk about being seated. Uh, so if you go with me, the book of John, chapter one, uh, verse twelve. We're gonna we're gonna hit some sonship scriptures real quick and just get into what the Lord's saying today. John chapter one verse twelve. Everybody happy this morning? Woo hoo! He said. John. John chapter one verse twelve. I'm reading the New King James. They'll have the King James on the screen, uh, and whatever version you're, you're reading, just follow along with me or whatever uh, device you're using. John chapter one verse twelve says this: But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, uh, even to them who believe on his name. Now go to verse. We usually stop there, but go to verse thirteen. Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Stop. Now, if you're religious at all today, you ain't gonna like today. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you. Uh, Because I wanna deal with these, I got 20 other scriptures, but right here we really need to hang our hat for a minute. We use this text right here and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us we beheld his glory You notice and he and we beheld his glory As the glory of the only begotten father. Those are in Parentheses, correct? We all know a little bit of grammar. I know we've kind of like thrown all that trash out now, but especially if you text So we got parentheses, but if you'll understand it says and we beheld his glory look at the word his If it refers to jesus Or God or the Holy Spirit, it's capitalized. So what it's saying here is if you go back, it's talking about you've been given the power to become the sons of God. Then you recognize in verse 13 that you weren't born. You weren't born of blood or flesh. You weren't born the way you think you were born. You settled into a place where you've accepted Jesus. Now you're covered by his blood, that blood which was born supernaturally. And when God, now y'all have heard me all these years say that when God looks at this planet, he does not see you. And everybody, because you know, you're so special. God should see you. He doesn't. He sees this. He sees the blood of his son that should be the word coming out of your mouth, that blood being made flesh into whatever it is you're believing God for. And he proves it in verse 14 by saying the word, notice the word, word is capitalized. The word made flesh dwelt among us. Are y'all with me? and we beheld his glory, which means you were given the opportunity to hold and carry what Jesus left for you, which means you can operate, walk, breathe, say, and be everything just like Jesus did it. He came to be a litmus test. He came to show you this is how you do it, and we've dumbed down biblical knowledge to the point that if we just pray and cry enough, God will do it. Yet God is telling you in his own word, I gave you the blood of my son so that when I look at this planet, I have to react to you just like I reacted to Jesus. And that's good news. Amen. Amen. Because if you will settle into the place that you are covered in something more powerful than you, you ain't got to fix you. Half of y'all should have took off running right then because y'all some messed up people. Uh, (laughs) Including us. But here's, here's how we do this. All these years you've heard me talk about sonship, 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 sonship. You get saved. You give your life to Jesus. You become a child of God. And then you grow into your sonship. What does that mean? That doesn't mean you become just like this one or that one or the other. It just means that you now have access to operate the way your big brother did. That's all. Y'all, we put way too much spiritual pressure on people. We put way too much up. Man, listen, I, I, my background's Pentecostal, so I get it. So I grew up Baptist, then went heathen, then came back Pentecostal, but my ministry training is Pentecostal. So I get if we're in the altars enough, we're excited enough, and all of these things are going on enough, and if we can settle into, you know, if we can pray like brother so-and-so prays, we can get something done. That's not how this works. Faith is not built on your exuberance. Faith is built on hearing the word of God. Your excitement should be based on the victory you have. Oh, come on. Your excitement should be based on something knowing that something bigger, greater, grander, and more powerful than you now rests on you. And because it rests on you, you've been given the right to use it. Are y'all seeing this? Now, that's all for free. Ain't none of that on my notes. (laughs) But this one scripture will blow up an entire church. Because if you say that ain't talking about Jesus, it's talking about you, half of them going to get the board together and vote you out. But praise God, I built this place. We ain't got to worry about that. Y'all, you, some of y'all, y'all been church more than twice. You know that happens. Because somebody, who, somebody who's a deacon, oh, I'm going to grind an axe here. Somebody who's a deacon who don't know their doggone Bible but gives money to the church, gets voted into something and gets to vote you out. Amen. Tell me God's in that. They can't even read that half the time. You know why? Because they don't. They don't want to. Now, that's just Alan Bailey Truth 101. All right. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Romans 8. I'm with you, Thank you. I hope you got your gun. You can get me out of here today. <laughs> Romans, Romans 8 and 14. <laughs> that was just my first scripture. I got three pages, Lord Jesus. Romans <laughs> Romans 8 and 14. <laughs> For as many as are led by the what, Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now this is this is a tie-in text. Okay, this is what we call type and shadow. For many that are, uh, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of bondage, say bondage, again to fear, but you've received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Stop. That means you get to call him in such an intimate manner. You have the opportunity when see. I'm, I, y'all know I got kids. Some, most of y'all have kids. And, and here's the thing. They, they do something inside of you. And, and you have to be tough on them. You do. You have to raise them. You have to, you have to mold them. But, but, some, but, but especially now, when they, get, when they get into those teenage years where they stink and have attitude, that's a little different. But when they're little, man, they can just, they, you give them anything they ask for. And, and now, now I tell you, when you have as many kids as I have, the older half are looking at you going, I Man, you don't got soft, you know, because you get all over them and the little kids get everything they want. But the truth is, hey, the, tr- <laughs> the truth is, is they've learned. They've learned by watching the older kids. There's a way to approach and they know there's an intimate way. I remember when when Hannah and Aaron were little, um, when Hannah and Aaron were little, we, we first moved, we moved into our house and they were playing. Aaron had just started walking and they were playing Barbies and. And, uh, you know, Aaron had her house set up and they were, she was cooking and, and all this stuff. And Hannah was dressing them because, you know, Hannah's got to be fashionable and Aaron's got to be practical. That's just how they were. And I walk in and I'm like, hey, y'all come here. Y'all come here sit. Come here hang out with dad. And I pull them up on the couch with me. And like, they want to play with the Barbies. And they're like, you got to understand, all my girls have been daddy's girls. So it bothered me when they were like, eh, I'd rather be down there playing. And then, I can't remember if it was Hannah or Aaron, but one of them made this statement. They said, you know, that's the problem with you daddies. All y'all want is us to love on y'all the time. (laughs) But that's true. That's how God is. That's all he wants because what they didn't know, and they have since figured out, and it's too late now because they got their own job and they pay for their own crap. What they didn't know then was all they had to do was love on daddy a minute. Daddy, buy them 20 Barbies. They didn't know that then. (laughs) Because maturity wasn't there, but somehow we get into, we we decide that we're growing up, we get into maturity, but we lose that childlike intimacy where we get to go to him very simply and let him deal with us where we are. And yeah, he is just like those daddies that just need too much loving because that's all he wants. I used to take them on dates. When Jordan, they'll be coming with Jordan soon. I used to take, I used to take them out. I open the door for. I come pick them up at the house. open the door for them. Take them out to eat, and, and and open the doors everywhere we went, and just talk to them. And it would tell them. And Paige will still tell you to this day. If a man can't treat you like this, he ain't no man. And it has shaped them and affected them. And the boyfriends that have tried to come into their life have suffered because of it. And I'm so happy about that. But the truth is, but but. That's my job. My job's not to, to, to just brood around and demand things. I didn't know that in the early days. I didn't know none of us knew that. They don't come with manuals. They, they don't. man, I wish they did, but they don't. But you get to a place where that intimacy, you let down your guard even with your own kids, and they get a part of your heart. But that is how God is with you. And all He wants for you is to come to him sweetly. He don't listen. I'm just going to be honest with you. This whole mindset of, well, God knows my heart, that may be true. God does know your heart, but he's bound by your word. He knows what's going on inside of you, but he knows what's coming out of you. And it's what's coming out of you that God has to go by. Is this making sense? Because you've been given the blood of Jesus. Jesus accomplished everything by what? Saying it. So God himself, this whole God's in control. No, no, God's in control of only what you give him. So God is sovereign over everything. God is absolutely sovereign, and he has a greater plan, and that is true. But God is absolutely not in control until you say, this is what you said. And because this is what you said. See, let me just tell you all something. I have this prayer life with God, and some people, some people that have sat in here with me on, on during uh, like early mornings, me and Ricky used to come in here a lot, and, and, and I'll never forget, Ricky got real uncomfortable one morning. We sat in my office after prayer, and... Uh, Ricky said, Pastor, I don't know if you should be praying like that. I said, what are you talking about? And what, he, what happened was I was over here. It's so when we had the benches in here. And, and I was just crying out to the Lord on some things. And, and the Lord spoke to me to do something. And I said these words, and it bothered Ricky. I said, I will not do that until you do this. And it bothered him so bad. But that's the relationship over the years that I've developed with the Lord that I know I'm his kid. I know it. And I know he's promised me some things that should have happened by now. So whatever's in the way, we need to get this fixed and then I'll do whatever you ask me. To. I wasn't making no deal with God. I was just talking to him as my dad. You made me a promise and it hadn't come to pass. But see, faith people don't understand you have that right to say no, no, no. Because what God wants you to do is remind him of what he said. I don't, I don't, I don't, none of y'all parents jump in here and, and help yourselves out. Trust me, but this is what I will do. Even with my team, I will say things, and then I will ask them again what I said. Not because I need them to stroke my ego, but because I need to know they heard me. That's all faith is. That's God saying, I want to bless you. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. I want to pour out on your life, and we're going to take it step by step. We're going to walk this thing out. I'm going to put people around you to help you get there. I'm really going to show you, but your heart needs to be right. Your attitude needs to be right, and this is what I want for you, and I need you to get in the Word and find it, and I need you to say this. And then he'll tell you, now, what did I say? And then we'll cry and pray, do it, Jesus, when he just told you everything to do. Now, so we're talking about parents today, so let's just be real. How, if, if, April, if, if April looked at, at one of the kids and said, now look, I want you to go in your room and I want you to pick your room up and I want that carpet vacuum and all them toys better be put up and if I find your underwear in the floor again, you know, and, and then they go, do it, mama. <laughs> Think about that. That's ludicrous. She just gave them, this is what I want you to do. She's the authority in the house, correct? Y'all with me? How dumb does that sound now when you talk to God? Ooh, silence that is what we've dumbed the gospel down to how can it be good news if we have to cry to get it out of him y'all hearing me how can it be a grand scheme if we have to beg and plead to walk in something new how, how can it be God if we're not walking it out and, and I'm not saying your life is going to be perfect y'all understand we live in a fallen creation things are going to happen Things are going to happen that we don't like. There's things I got to talk to God about when I get to heaven I didn't like down here. But it doesn't change the overall fact that if I listen to him and do what he says, my life's a little better. Right? So let's, okay, let's move on. I I don't want to lose you. Let's go to Galatians 4. Man, first three scriptures. And I got all this stuff. And it's good, too. We ain't going to get there, though. I can already feel it. Galatians, everybody okay? (laughs) Y'all saying that out of pity or excitement? (laughs) Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now this is everything I've just said. Now I want you to, to, to put everything I just said into this. Now I say that the heir, that's you, as long as he is a child, That's not going to be you much longer. Does not differ from a slave. Listen to that. Now, he's an heir. He owns everything. Though he's an heir, he he differs nothing. The King James says a servant. The new King James says a slave. Though he be Lord of all. Though he owns everything. Next verse. But is under guardians and stewards. What does the King James put up there? Governors uh, and tutors, which means teachers. You're put there until the appointed time by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we were under the bondage, listen, of the elements of the world. That means you're subject to this world. But when the fullness of time had come, talking about Jesus, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. Say redeem. Or to pull us back to the way we should have been. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might, say might, receive the adoption of sons. You might now, this is what people don't like to hear. The might in the word is all up to you because as far as he's concerned, he wants great things in your life, but they might happen if you'll settle into that sweet spot where you hear him. Now, I'm, I am in a forever battle for that quiet place in my life. I'm not, I'm not even going to stand up here and act like I got it together because the truth is, when you run your own business and you have a church, you're building a men's home and you're trying to get your aviation stuff together and and you got all these things running all these different ways, to find that really quiet, sweet moment is hard. That doesn't change the fact that God requires it. See, I can't change the cycle of life unless I'm using the word. I've had to learn to get back to a place where I'm willing to say that in the name of Jesus, I redeem and renew my time. My time is mine, not everybody else's. And get back to that place. Have I made it yet? No. But I'm finding myself, especially on Wednesday nights, except for, you know, last Wednesday night, which was the washer fiasco of 2018. But I'm finding myself slowly but surely easily slipping back into that place where the minute that I get before him, I ease right into that place. That place where y'all don't even exist when I go there. People say, well, I don't know if that's dangerous. If you've never been there, you don't know. Because there's a place in him where nothing else matters. But yet when you walk out of there, you walk out of their challenge, you walk out of their change, And it's just like the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was going to the cross and he's sweating drops of blood and he's under so much pressure and stress. And he stayed there and he pushed through until the angels came and ministered and he walked out ready. And that is a prime example of your everyday life. Everyday life is for you to walk into a place where you may have all this going on and you may be under pressure and you may be worried, you may be stressed, but you get to that place where the angels of the Lord can minister to you, remind you of who you are in him. Not who you are in this life, but who you are in him. And you cover yourself with him and then you begin to talk like him and walk like him and him result shows up. Amen. Amen. Because that's what he wants for you. He wants you to walk in sonship. He wants you to see it. He wants you to understand that you are chosen. He wants you to understand that you have value. He wants you to understand that he sees you differently than you see yourself. Now, I'm going to try to say a few of these things and see what happens. When you, uh, you, you are, listen to me. I might as well just close that thing. You are the sum total. I've told you you're the sum total of the five people you hang around with. You should let those two, two or three of those people be Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You're the sum total of that. You're also the sum total of what you say about yourself. See, I, I, we, we have this running joke, and April, April <laughs> she, she gets on to me all the time for it, but almost everybody in my life knows what these words mean. I can't turn this down. So she'll get on to me. She'll go, she'll go you just prance around up there like you're special. And I go, baby, I can't turn this down. But the truth is, that's just a joke because internally, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just completely unqualified for what I'm doing. See, that's what goes on internally. But I refuse to let that come out of my mouth because that, that doesn't line up to what God called me to do. I refuse to let the enemy get in my brain and tell me I'm not anointed to do this. I may not be the flashiest preacher or the prettiest, but blessed Lord, I'm called here to do this. And as long as I do what he says, I'm all right. I know who I am. The biggest issue with Christians today is they don't know who they are. They identify with a church. They identify with an event. They don't identify with a vision and a call. And when you identify with something that doesn't even know its own identity, now you're in real trouble. And that's how how things begin to happen. Now, what I want you to know is this. You are called to be seated in heavenly places. You're called to take your place Jesus says, Jesus went to the Father. For he's forever intercession for you, and spiritually, you're seated next to him. Jesus sees you as already in victory. So he's telling God, you ain't going to believe what they're going to accomplish. You have no idea. Listen, I want you to help them. I want you to bless He's interceding for you all the time. But Jesus is praying for you, and you ain't even praying for you. Some of y'all just pray, Lord, Lord just help me through this day. And I get those prayers. That's prayers of exhaustion and tiredness. But God needs you to get to a place where you're looking around and saying, I command my day. From this day forward, I will walk in peace. I will walk in the blessing of God. I will walk in the fullness of the grace that he put in my life. I will hear his voice completely and clearly. I will say what he says. And what he says about me is what will happen in my life. And when you get to that place, everything begins to turn around. You're not going to be perfect. You're not. But you can be perfected in him. You're not ever going to be perfect You're going to to make mistakes You're going to say things You're going to do things I, I own all my stuff We all have stuff But God has asked you to. Just because we're not going to be perfect Doesn't mean that you don't accept There's a standard See, I'm a firm believer that if there's a falsity in the today's gospel, especially in the grace movement, is that it's so far on the other side that people never accept the standard. Missing the fact that the standard is the very thing that sets the goalpost for them to walk in the blessing of God. It's not about behavior. It's a standard of a good heart. If your heart is perfectly aligned with the Lord or becoming that way, your life becomes to align. If you really know who Jesus is, if you really understand what grace is, it becomes very easy to change how you act. Your behavior is not your your spirituality. Your heart is. And if your heart lines up with his, your life begins to change. Things that you struggle with and couldn't get free from begin to fall off of you and turn loose. Things that you couldn't walk away from, their, their hooks begin to come out. And we don't think that way because if we just cry enough and pray enough, it's all gonna be good. But when you have been given everything to make the word flesh in your life. Y'all see this? Because the heavenlies hear the word when it's spoken. And when the heavenlies and when the enemy and when satanic forces hear You say what God says under the anointing of God. They hear God. And it removes you so you have no pride in it. How amazing is that? It removes you. You're saying the word so the word is now the power. You don't have to carry the pressure of being spiritual. You just float in the spirit. Does that make sense? We've gotten to this place in my training in the Pentecostal world that we have to be spiritual. We have to be a good Christian. There is no such thing as being a good Christian. There's only having a good heart, period. Doesn't mean you ain't going to have bad days. But you don't get under condemnation to those things. Everybody fails. Some some failures are bigger than others. My failures may be huge compared to what you go through. And the truth is, it's nobody's business what you go through. Except for you and the Lord. My, the thing that hurts me the most is if, you'll, if y'all will look around, you'll see empty seats. And what hurts me the most is most of these seats, somebody's supposed to be in it. And there's two things that needs to happen. First of all, we got to invite people. You got you to have people in your life you're willing to talk to and invite to church. But that's not even the issue. The issue is most people aren't here because of self-condemnation. Because religion has dealt with them in such a way they don't know what real relationship is. We, we, we tell this story all the time, but it's the truth. April and I uh, were under Matt Gober as far as spiritual fatherhood, and in the beginning, it was it was kind of rough. But we got to a place that Matt could really correct us, and I mean, if you ain't ever been corrected by Matt Gober, see, some of y'all think I correct y'all. That's uh, y'all don't know nothing until you sit in Matt's office, because it's like you sitting in God's house. It's really weird. And he got that big booming voice. But he would correct us and we would accept it. Because for the first time in our lives, we found a leader that we knew loved us. The problem is people will accept what the Bible has to say, but they have to accept it through a heart that loves them. You can't, I tell people all the time, you, you can't go outreach and witness into people and just telling them how wrong they are. You can't do that. You have to go out and just love people where they are. It's a proven fact. They had the, the, the gay pride parade a few months ago. And instead of people out there uh, protesting, the Christians protesting, they had a group of women going around just giving them a hug, telling them Jesus loved them. Changed the whole dynamic. They wouldn't even put it on CNN. It was so good. Everybody was so happy, and they were complimenting the church for the first time in the history of that parade. They were talking about, these people seem like they really care. But you didn't see it on the news anywhere because it didn't fit the narrative. But the truth is, is loving someone changes everything. And there are those people that you can only love in him. Oh, Lord. There are those people that you might not like, but you got to love them. That don't mean you got to be around them. Some people you don't need to be around. Some people are just toxic. But you do have to love them in Christ and see them the way he sees them. Whether you know it or not, they are supernaturally valuable to him. And most of the time, they're carrying more pain than you are. You just don't know what they came out of. We're extremely cautious here. When April does our team meeting every every Sunday morning, she lets them know. You have no idea what a kid, what teenager, what young adult, what parent, what woman, what man has come in here. You have no idea what they're coming out of. You have no idea what they left home. You have no idea how their parents, their husband, their spouse, their kids talk to them. You have no idea what happened to them the night before. You have no idea what they're struggling with. So when they come in here, this should be a place where they can be loved and cared for. Not just an event, but a place that they truly feel like they can relax and learn how to be safe. That's what we're here for. Y'all, it's taken me 23 years to recognize. I've been preaching over 23 years. And it's taken me this long to realize what real ministry is. And it has nothing to do with flash. Nothing. has everything to do with the heart. Everything to do with how you treat people. Everything to do with how you care for people. Everything to do with how you portray. And I, listen, I, I'm a perfect example of grace because I fail at this all the time. But God still loves me enough to pick me up and say, now next time, this is how you do it. Because I'm just going to tell you, if you think you look up here, if we ever look at this desk and the people behind it for perfection, we have failed miserably. But if we can give you an example of who he is, you know, the example of the girls playing with their dolls is really a prime example of how much God really wants to happen in your life that's good. But we don't put him first. My thing is this, and y'all have heard me say this before. Children are the best recorders of information and the worst releasers. Now, I'm not going to tell the story of how Jordan got me in trouble. Y'all have heard that enough. But kids can record things that you say. And this is why as parents, you've got to be careful what you say because they hear everything. Whether you know it or not, they hear. I remember, and, even, and, 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 and I know Mama's sitting over there. Even when April was pregnant with Hannah and, and all the kids, I would, put, I would put headphones on her belly and play keyboard and talk to them with the microphone. Because I wanted them to know who their daddy was. And, and it was just an amazing thing. Hannah was, was so premature. She was so small I could put her right here. And April was so sick. She was two weeks and she couldn't even go see her. But when I would walk in, she was so small she couldn't move. But when, when I would walk in and she would hear me talking to the nurse, her little head would turn. Because she knew my voice. She heard everything. She was a great recorder of information. She just didn't know how to release it. We go to church every Sunday and Wednesday. We go, we go to places we hear the word. You're great recorders, but you just got to learn how to release it to walk into blessing. You have to learn how to release it to walk into blessing. Is this making sense to y'all? Are y'all learning today? I know this is that teaching anointing, and I love this, but you have to learn how to release. And I'm just going to give you, I'm going to make it easy for you. You're not going to be perfect right out of the gate, but God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for, for available mud. He's looking for available clay. He's looking for available people to be moldable. He uses imperfect people to accomplish a perfect will. He wants things to happen in your life that you want to happen in your life. He gives you the desires of your heart if you get to that place that you're willing to let everything go that you think but let him talk to you. And man, when you realize what he wants, see, I'm just gonna be honest with y'all. I, was, I played music and I traveled and my, my greatest... Memories of traveling and playing music was this. We got to go into hotel rooms, <laughs> we got to go into clubs and we got to break things and act a fool, and then we got to go into the next town and do it the next night. That was what man, I love that. that was before I knew Jesus, but I love that. But now when I came into the body of Christ, I gave my life to Jesus and I knew there was a call on my life to lead. I knew there was a call on my life to preach. I didn't spend enough time with him privately to let him talk to me about what that call was. I just put my old soulish flesh on there and said, because I was a traveling musician, I must be a traveling evangelist, see, because I used to tear up a hotel room every night and let them fix it. Bless God, I go into church and tear it up let the pastor fix it. That's how I thought. But a few months and a couple years later, when I settled into a place where I said, Lord, this is, it feels right in my flesh, but something's just not sitting right inside my spirit. And I said, I'm going to lay all of this ministry before you, and I'll never preach another day in my life. I'll never teach a class. I'll be an armor bearer for the rest of my life. I'll make sure the man of God has his coffee and has his glasses clean. Y'all don't understand when I was an armor bearer, my pastor didn't have to worry about a thing. I mean, I didn't stand there. If you come and talk to me, I was like the FBI, Jack. Move on, because I'm here to serve. And he didn't have to worry about it. Now, he didn't ask me to do that. I just wanted to make his job easier. And I said, Lord, I will do this the rest of my life, and I'm completely fine with it. And then all of a sudden, when I laid all that down, and my heart was open to hear his desire, his desire was said, son, you are broken. And I didn't call you to a normal church. I called you to broken people. And then he began to bring that up in me and show me exactly what I was supposed to do with sonship. Everything that you got and heard from me today has been a a 20-year process of me learning who I am in him. And it's very important for you to take this and understand that God's not mad. God's not angry. We've been through bad stuff. Horrible things have happened. People haven't cared about us. People haven't treated us right. Things have happened that should not have happened. But that doesn't change what he's wanting to do for you today. And I've learned, I've learned that when my kids come home or, or they come home from work or when I get home and something's going on and they're out of place and they're just agitated and something's going rather than just attacking that like I used to, you know, the dad is like, what's wrong with you? What's, what's wrong? I come home, he's always fussing. Rather than to say, are you all right? And usually one of the girls, the girls, they got their, my favorite word on the planet, fine, I'm fine. Hey, men, look right here. I'm fine means get the heck out of the room. That's what that means. So when I hear the words, I'm fine, I dig in and I say, okay, so what's going on? I'm learning, you know, I'm learning. I've been a dad a long time and I'm just now learning this. See, what y'all don't realize is that the Holy Spirit is talking to you like that every day. Every single day he's talking to you about something that's going, you wake up with him whispering your name. You wake up with him saying, today, I, I want today to be awesome. If you'll just listen to me, let me lead you in prayer. Let me show you how I want you to pray and set your day. But we don't, we wake up and go, God, I want to go to school. I want to go to work. I owe this bill. I need this money. My washing machine's running through my den. <laughs> you know, those kind of things. But the truth is, all he wants is us. It's all he wants. Can I, can I just be honest with you? God does not want to drastically change you to the point that you don't recognize yourself. That's not what he wants to do. God created you to be you, but he wants you to be the you he designed, not all the things you put on you. He gave you your personality. He did not give you your attitude. Hey, man, i take that one for myself. (laughs) He gave you your talent. He didn't give you your ego. He gave you your tenacity. He did not give you your anger. Y'all listening? He gave you the heartbeat of love. He did not give you frustration when people don't reciprocate. Everything in your life that you're dealing with usually comes back to you had faith in somebody and they failed you, not him. Everything. My dad died when I was 12, and I didn't realize until I was in my 30s that I was angry with him for dying. I Had no idea that I had that, and somewhere in there, it finally came up one day. How could he not take care of himself? Didn't he know I needed him? And in, thir- in my 30s, I had how many kids I have in my 30s? Seven. Whew. Man, makes my back hurt just thinking carrying all these kids. I'm just kidding. But in my 30s, I realized something that I was holding a grudge against my father who, who didn't do anything wrong. And if you really just let God begin to heal those things up and you don't dwell on it, you just let him think, Lord, I'm sorry I didn't know that was there. Let's pull that out and let's move forward. But yet, what we've, we've, we've conditioned society to think, this is what happened to me. So let me talk about what happened to me every day to heal. And the enemy has used society to fool us into talking the problem and not the wholeness. We've let the medical community, and I believe in doctors, but we've let the medical community, and if we watch Dr. Phil enough and we acknowledge our issues and we know what the heck's wrong with us, no, there's nothing wrong with finding it out, but he's your healer. Can I tell y'all something time does not heal? Jesus heals. It may give you may have to have time to understand it, but only Jesus heals. Everything that you went through, let me tell you something. I know you've been brokenhearted. I know people have hurt you. I know you've been put down. I know things have gone on that's bothered you. I know things have happened that you don't understand. I get it. But Jesus carried every bit of that to the cross. He felt it way more than you. He had an entire world turn their back on him. He had his own people, his, the people that he, he, in Nazareth, the people he grew up around. They all, do you really believe that some of his, the, his outer family and the people that he grew up with weren't in that crowd when he was crucified? Do you really believe that he was anonymous? Do you really believe that when the Bible says that everything came onto him, do you really believe that every struggle and pain that you go through that he dealt with on the cross, that, that yours is so unique that it wasn't here back then? Y'all, this has been dealt with. And the whole point of me saying you need to be a son is because if it was dealt with and it was buried, then if you recognize your sonship and you recognize the power in your mouth, you won't be talking what you don't want. You'll talk what he says and walk in something you need to walk in versus something that's always tried to attack you, stop you, and hurt you. Jesus knows what it's like to be brokenhearted. He knows what it's like to hang on a cross and look over Jerusalem and even say the words, oh, if, if, you'd have just, if you'd have just listened. He knows what it's like. The Bible says, listen to these words. The Bible says that it pleased God to put murder on him. Think about that. It pleased God to put murder on his son so the spirit of murder could never touch you. Now, think about that word murder. That's not just Death. That's attacking the character, attacking the heart, attacking the mind. That's every ounce of pain that you could walk in. Jesus died for that. You may not realize certain things. Every day brings a new challenge. But His grace is sufficient. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That's not saying that because you've messed up, Jesus loves you more. That's saying when temptation shows up and you might even be struggling with it or falling to it or or wrestling with it in your mind but that means you get the opportunity to turn to him and not stand in shame because not only did the spirit of murder and pain and all the things that Jesus took to the cross but when when God turned his back on Jesus shame came on him which means shame died with Jesus and it doesn't have to live in you y'all hearing me? The greatest day of my life was when I didn't have to keep reminding myself of what I used to be. I know who I was. People ask me all the time, Pastor Allen, you got a powerful testimony. You were a drug addict. You played in all these bands. You were about to sign a record deal and this tour and all these things. And, and, and God just turned you around in one night. But you know what I wish my testimony was? About my testimony is I wish somebody would have told that 12-year-old little, little boy that lost his dad that that wasn't God's will. That's what I wish my testimony was. I wish my testimony was that at 12 years old, I realized that Satan stole my father and my life was designed to put an end to him by the word. But that's not my... So why don't don't you give the testimony, Pastor? Because that's not who I am. That man's dead. And I refuse to give life to that. I'm not saying your testimony is not powerful. But when the Bible says that you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony... It is not talking about the testimony of your past. It's talking about the testimony of the revelation of what he spoke to you today. And what he says about you today is you're the head and you're not the tail. That you are above, you're everything. Do you understand that you are the apple of his eye? Which means that he's so close to you, he can see his reflection in your eye. You just don't realize it yet. Are y'all learning anything today? Listen, y'all stand to your feet with me. Just stand and just close your eyes. I know we got a light crew today. I know that. I know it's just a few of us. A lot of people are gone, but here's the thing.